Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in. How are you doing during this COVID-19 crisis? Man, it's crazy, isn't it? It's amazing how long the days are when I have to be cooped up in my house. I don't know if you're feeling the same way. It's crazy, you know, watching this all uh, go down as I'm recording this intro. It's um, seven days from, or eight days, this is the eighth day of the kind of President Trump's 15-day kind of take it easy. Um, it's getting more locked down. You know, Kansas City, I just found out, is going to lock down their city on Tuesday. I'm recording this on a Saturday evening. Um, it's crazy, but I hope you're hanging in there. And uh, what a great time to catch up on podcasts. I'm seeing my numbers go up, so people are listening more and more. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, uh, things are going pretty good. I feel like I've gained weight, unfortunately. I've been going to the gym. You know, I was doing really well. I went to the gym, started uh, right after Thanksgiving. I got a membership to Planet Fitness, and I was going regularly. I was going every day. I'd lost like six pounds, and then um, now they've shut it down, and I just didn't want to go myself because I didn't want to catch anything. But it's crazy. I felt like I've got it all back. I'm kind of stress eating, I think. And um, But I'm looking forward to the time when it's been cloudy here too get outside work in the yard and and that's going to help with that too so i hope you're doing okay hope you're doing well and again this is the time to as leaders focus not only on ourselves but the, those around us and being aware like i've talked in the last couple episodes aware of of how you're coming across and what your perception is because people are looking to you remember you got people looking to you for influence and guidance it's easy to forget that when we're kind of staring at the our phones and the TV, and we need to break ourselves away from that and, again, set the example. Take this time to do something unique. Take that action to do something you've never done before and uh, connect with your family members, communicate, create something, start that business that you always wanted to do. And, again, this too shall pass, and I, that I am confident of. I'm so excited for this episode. Mark Devine is on the show. Mark Devine, and I was so shocked and embarrassed to realize how fast time has gone. He was on my show six years ago when I, my show was pretty brand new. And I always liked Mark Devine. He's a former Navy SEAL. I've had a, a handful of Navy SEALs on here, including Jocko Willink um, last month. But uh, Mark is a former Navy SEAL officer and entrepreneur, best-selling author. And I've always enjoyed his way of thinking. He's, he's more kind of in the dose of leadership community, kind of aligned to how I think. He's probably one of the more spiritual, I don't know, thought leaders out there. And particularly when you look at that kind of that SEAL genre, and there's a handful of them out there, I've always appreciated Mark's uh, view and take from the spiritual side, from the heart and mind, the aligning of the heart and mind. And he's a firm believer that our main job as leaders is character growth. And not a lot of guys are talking about that. You know, a lot of guys talk about the tactics of it and, and, and kind of the the more traditional things of leadership, he really gets into the, man, it is all internal about getting yourself right. And character growth is our primary function. I love it. 
and uh, you're just really going to enjoy this conversation. He's got a new book out there called Staring Down the Wolf. I love that title. And it's Seven Leadership Commitments that Forge Elite Teams. And he kind of goes through um, those commitments, those leadership commitments, and it kind of follows a path. It's like a circular path. And where courage begets trust, trust begets respect, respect leads to growth, growth leads to excellence, excellence forges resiliency, and resiliency gives you the power to constantly align with your team. I love all of those. And this is the longer podcast, folks. And I know that the podcast experts are supposed to say, hey, keep this to 30 minutes. Hey, this is an hour-long show. It's my show. I can do whatever I want. You're really going to stick with this for the whole time. You don't have to listen all in one setting. You're really going to enjoy this one. This is one of my favorites in a long time. We really get down to the nitty-gritty about each one of those things, which I'm very passionate about, and I think all of us as leaders need to be intentional about um, looking forward to. So again, check out this podcast. Check out Mark Devine's podcast, his book, uh, Staring Down the Wolf. You're not going to be disappointed. This guy needs to be in your rotation. He's one of my favorites. Hey, before we jump into the interview, I want to pitch again. I've pitched it on the last two episodes, my Dose of Leadership University. I've got about 20 founding members now. I'm looking for another 10. And uh, I've been doing interviews all week with multiple people seeing if they'd be a good fit. It's all about experiencing personal and professional development within a community of like-minded leaders. This is real-life leadership folks delivering real-world results. That's what it's all about. I've always wanted to create this community, and it's all about becoming intentional about your leadership journey. The university is your hub of leadership knowledge and support. It's given you online training videos, my Legacy Leader Blueprint course, which I've used over the last five years for over 30 organizations, and an interactive community which is the big part of it, the meaty part of it, of like-minded leaders who are searching for significance just like you. The video lessons are self-paced. It sets a foundation for growth. It's value on its own. And the interaction of the community is what creates a level of accountability, which is going to allow you to grow into the kind of leader that you were called to be. You're going to benefit from getting encouragement, insight, growth, and accountability by joining the group. And some of the what's included is, again, my Legacy Leader Blueprint online video training, 20 high-impact videos spread across four modules that gives you the perfect blueprint on how to become a true leader of influence, a member's private forum, access to a private forum where you can post questions, receive valuable feedback from me and other members in the group in between the live sessions. And that's where it really becomes beneficial and valuable. Monthly live training, monthly live calls with me and the unique thing is, with seven years interviewing some of the top thought leaders, I'm going to bring on some of these previous podcast guests where you get to interact with them just like I do on this show, where knowledge is shared and unique leader, your unique leadership challenges are going to be addressed. It's a leadership training like no other. I'm easily going to charge $1,500 to $2,000 to join this group, but I'm looking for founding members to help me grow this community, and I'm real selective about who gets in. 350 bucks, one-time fee. You'll never be charged anything else. I'm not going to sell sell you anything. I'm not going to upsell you anything when you join. It's 350 lifetime access. You'll never get another or request for money from me. I need people to help me grow this community. I need other leadership junkies. I need people who are going to participate, who are going to do life with me and the other members of this group and grow this into something special. If that sounds like something you're interested in, go to doseofleadership.com slash university. Doseofleadership.com slash university. Check out the landing page. Hit the Enroll Now button, and that'll 
have you fill out your name, your phone number, and email, and I'll get in touch with you, and we'll have a personal conversation to see if you might be a good fit, all right? I'm so excited to get this launched, and I'd love you to be a part of it if you think this might be for you, all right? Thanks for being a fan of the show. Thanks for hanging in there during this crazy time, and I appreciate you listening to the show, and I appreciate the feedback you get. So let's, without further ado, join this wonderful conversation with Mark Devine here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Mark, so great to have you back on Dose of Leadership. Uh, thanks for coming back. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate being here. I can't believe it's been six years since you've been on here. The show's seven years old, so you, you came on fairly early. I think you were the first Navy SEAL that I had on, and uh, it was a huge thrill to me to have you on. So, man, it's, I can't believe it's been six years, though. I can't either. That was my first book that we were talking about, The Way of the Seal. Yep, that's seemed right. like a long time ago, but yeah. But the, the, the principles haven't changed. They're still as timeless as ever. <laughs> that's right. They're timeless. That's absolutely right. Well, I love the new book, uh, Staring Down the Wolf, Seven Leadership Commitments That Forge Elite Teams. And uh, the reason why I like it so much, and you know, I get a lot of requests for people to come on the show, and everybody's a leadership expert, in, in, including myself, right? I claim to be one. But the thing that, that bothers me a little bit, and, and it became clear to me when I was kind of reading your stuff, is that so much of the stuff out there is about, uh, it's either too academic for me, or the stuff is... Uh, about trying to make things as comfortable as possible. And what I like about your book, mm -hmm. and, and the thing I like about your stuff, and particularly this book, is that it really gets to the heart of what I think is missing in leadership today, is that it, it forces the reader and it forces us into that growth zone, which you completely understand. And that's that's not a comfortable place to be. And I think that's what's, what's missing. What do you think when you hear me say that? No, I agree with you. I mean, that, I've been training... Um, leaders for years starting with spec ops leaders and now corporate leaders and entrepreneurs and they won't grow unless they get out of their comfort zone i mean that's essentially how we grow as humans you know we, exactly we accept some risk we take the challenge we fall down and then we get up and dust ourselves off and we learn from it and if you're not willing to fall or fail and to learn from, you know, those, those experiences, then you kind of get stuck. Yeah. And a lot of leaders, you know, project this air of confidence and impeccability, but the reality is they're kind of stuck. And I noticed that with a lot of my clients, they're, they're achieving some results and they may even look good on the outside, but they don't feel successful. They know they got a lot more they can give and they're really not engaging their teams right. the way that they could if, if they were really truly doing this, the work that we talk about in the book. Yeah, and that's why it resonated with me because I agree with you. I, I see that every client uh, that I've been involved with, uh, when I've been involved with their organization, there's this, particularly in the middle and below, there's this kind of this idea, this concept that we need to make things as smooth as possible. Right. And it's, it's difficult for me to explain to, I said, look, it's not about, I just don't think you can eliminate the chaos. I would just rather spend my time, energy, and resources on trying to be the composed force within the chaos. Not that, I mean, you can't sustain a high level of chaos indefinitely. And don't get me wrong. And I'm not talking about pouring gasoline on the fire, but I think it's folly mm -hmm. to, I think it's folly to try to plan things ad nauseum in the hopes that things will go as smooth as possible. I hate, I hate the, the term. I love it when a plan comes together. I don't, because it denotes this linear <laughs> this, plan never comes together. exactly <laughs> right, and it denotes this kind of linear path towards the objective. And I just, I, it, it drives me crazy. Right. Yeah. No, I look at leadership more holographically. Like there's all these different components. 
the chaos is one of those components. Yeah. It never goes away and you can't, you can't manage it. You can only manage yourself exactly, so that you stay as clear as possible and you're willing to take courageous action in spite of the chaos. Exactly. So that's what I try to teach people is be the leader who's the calm, you know, center post in the storm. The one that, you know, is able to pause, breathe, think, and then act. And then do that repeatedly with smaller and smaller details, smaller and smaller decisions. And if you do that, then the big decisions tend to take care of themselves often. Oh, man, that is a breath of fresh air. I've been, it's, it seems like I've been banging my head against the wall trying to get that concept communicated to people, you know, and, it, and um, it's scary. It's, and I get it. It's scary, right? Because it is, it's uncomfortable. It makes, it's a really uncomfortable right. place to be, but I Somehow we've got to shift our mindset into thinking that's what it's about. It's about, you know, the old cliche, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? Right. Hence the title of this book. You know, it's kind of a funny, the way this thing got written. I, I was working on another book and I've got that manuscript kind of sitting on the shelf. Uh, that was really a leadership book for kind of millennials or Gen Xers coming in the workforce. I'm calling it uncommon. And I was working on that diligently when my publisher from Macmillan, Michael Holmler, St. Martin's Press actually imprint called and said, Hey, Mark, I want you to do a book about leadership, you know, and tell some cool seal stories. And I was like, eh, okay. But, um, you know, I had this kind of like, eh, yeah. my teammates have done that. And I kind of even did that a little bit with the way of the seal, but I, I said, yes, if I could do it my way. And he said, carte blanche, you know, <laughs> as long as the book doesn't suck, <laughs> I said, let me do it my way. And so um, I started, you know, I, I meditated on it. This is what I do when I write. This is my process. I sit down before I put pen to paper. I'll sit down and kind of like really go deep. You know, that's where my creativity comes from. This like insight, meditation, intuition, that type of stuff. It's a lot of what I teach. And after one of my meditation sessions, and I went really deep in this one, all of a sudden um, I came out and just wrote down these seven commitments. And with the exception of just one, they were all in this order. Courage, trust, respect, growth, excellence, resilience, and alignment. Those are the seven commitments that forge elite teams. And so I was going to call the book The Seven Commitments That Forge Elite Teams, which sounds <laughs> very much like a vanilla leadership book, right? Right, right. And, um, and as, as with a lot of authors, for leverage, I hired someone, a writer, to help me construct the you know, book structure. And, and he was going to interview me on these seven subjects and then kind of spin back a first draft and I was going to take it from there, which is a way that I thought would work well for me. At any rate, <laughs> to make a story, this story kind of uh, come to a close because I can go forever. He came up with this title because he, I sent him my other work and one of my books is called Unbeatable Mind. On the cover of that book, it's got a picture of me staring down this wolf. Yeah. And so he actually chose this title, like Staring on the Wolf. And I said, I love the title, but all of a sudden I've got to now explain what is that and, and how does this relate to the seven commitments that forge elite teams? So this is very kind of yin-yang, light and dark aspect of the book. The light is, here's the commitments, here's some uh, examples of some um, exemplars that I call like um, Admiral McRaven, the story about him and trust, or Admiral Olson, the story about him and courage in Mogadishu. This is how it's done, right? By great SEAL leaders. But then the flip side of that is me as a, you know, retired Navy SEAL or reserve Navy SEAL trying to build a business, you know, several businesses in the civilian world and just like literally falling on my face. Right. And I've had all that training in the SEALs and I know how to lead people and I built elite teams in the SEALs. 
but why was I finding it so difficult in the civilian world? And I wanted to go like, get into the soft underbelly of that. And so Staring in the Wolf is a reference to, I had to stare down my own biases and my own shadow and those subtle fears that cause you to show up to want to be perfect or yeah. not project weakness, you know, and those things that we talked about earlier that, hey, nobody's perfect. No leader has got all the answers. And when you get out of, you know, your ego, check your ego at the door and show up with your team authentically humbly and say basically hey we're in this together i don't have all the answers there is no perfect plan let's solve this one day at a time one one decision at a time you know it took me a long time to learn that even though it sounds like a fairly simple concept no but i think that it's man i, I love what you said i mean i think it, it goes to the heart of why leadership is so hard i mean i used to think for the longest time even my time in the marine corps that leadership was so external that it was my job to like you said, come up with all the answers and to inspire and motivate. And and I've come to realize, particularly even in the last eight years and doing this show and having all these conversations about this, you know, and I'm 51 years old and, and I'm now just starting to get it that leadership is so much about that staring down the wolf, as you said, my inner struggle and fighting those dragons every single day. And I've come to accept that every every single day, I'll slay a dragon's head today and that same one's going to be there tomorrow. And I'm okay with that. Right? <laughs> <Because> <laughs> that's right. That's what, but it won't hold as much power. It, exactly. Right? right. That's exactly right. But there's even when I do, maybe I can completely defeat that dragon. There's going to be a new one that I've never seen before at some point. That's how I, how right. I look at it. Yeah. That's right. Well, I, I love these. Yeah. And you know, this, this go, go ahead. these commitments also, sorry about that. These commitments also have a ground, you know, they're not just for like big corporate leaders, no, people no, no, leading, no. you know, it's everybody, right? Because first we lead ourselves, which is what you're alluding to. Mm-hmm. But the question is, how do you lead yourself? Does that mean that I show up every day and I'm like ready with the fanciest uh, leadership tactics? No. You literally wake up in the morning and now the first battle is to win control of your mind. Right. And to maintain a positive attitude in spite of whatever fearful shit is going on around you, like uh-huh. coronavirus, markets collapsing, you know, threat of, you know, North Korea launching nukes <laughs> or right. Iran and Iraq. You know, who knows? It's going to be something every day. And if you allow that stuff to rule you, then you're feeding the fear wolf. Yep. You know, the human brain is five is wired to be five times as negative as it's positive. So your first thing that you have to stare down is your own mm-hmm. negative programming. And that takes courage. The courage is the first commitment. It takes courage to, to stare, you know, down the things that you fear. It takes courage to, to risk failure, to risk reputation, to risk actually doing the work and getting uncomfortable, you know? And so that's where it starts. Everybody as a self-leader got to stare down the fear and the biases and the judgment and negativity, and then they can begin to develop trust and trustworthiness with their team and with their family and just be more authentic. It all starts with courage. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I love how you put that first. I love what I was going to say there is is that how you have it laid out is that Courage kind of is the base, is the foundation, and I love that you put that there right. uh, because, it, as you put it, begets trust, and then trust begets respect, then respect leads to growth, and then growth leads to excellence. Excellence forge, forges resiliency, and resiliency gives you the power to constantly align. And I and, and I love how you kind of right. you you capped it off with alignment because I do think the ultimate one of the ultimate goals, particularly of senior leaders is constantly and maniacally providing that, that clarity and that alignment. And I think a yeah. lot of senior leaders miss that. 
But I love how you started for yeah. everybody, every single one of us, the individual, it does start with being courageous every single day. And I, I think we, I know I did, I miss, I, I didn't quite understand how important and how difficult that was or how intentionally had to be with that on a daily basis because there right. are numerous opportunities in every hour to be courageous right and um, that's right you know you you could look at the courage and alignment almost as bookends but exactly that would be linear i would prefer to draw a circle yep, and to have circle. you know courage with an arrow arrow pointing to trust or but then the the arrows also point to each other in kind of a crisscross section so it takes courage to have that maniacal alignment, maniacal communication. I love that word because that's the way it has to be. I mean, mm -hmm. you have to communicate. I've read somewhere seven times more than you think you need to for people to actually hear what you want to say, yeah. what you want them to hear. So if you want everyone to be clear about your mission and what your vision is and what, uh, what you're going to do about it today or what you need to do about it today or this week, you got to tell them seven times today. You know, so seven different opportunities. What are they going to be? What are, you got? A, you know, a meeting, a phone call, the walking around the office. You know, you're talking about vision, mission, purpose, task all the, all time. the time. All the time. And it has to be. In, all the time. It has to just like be emanating from you and oozing from you and bleeding from you all the time. Right. And I think sometimes we just think, right. you know, we can put it up on a eight and a half, eleven, you know, frame in the hallway and think we're done, or send out an email or. Right. It's just constant, and I, uh, I, I love, like you said, the, in the courage piece. I think, and that's why I like talking with with guys like you who are who completely understand the small unit leadership concept, and it's the, uh -huh. the, the commander's intent piece is is fed in there. I mean, that's why I think it's it's so second nature to you because of that small unit leadership um, mm -hmm. uh, baptism that you that you lived under, and but it is so powerful, and it does take, I, and embedded in all this, and in authenticity, transparency, you already said some of those things already in courage. I think those are the three currencies that are so needed. And I think that's what your book really challenges me to be is authentic, transparent, and courageous in all, in every aspect mm -hmm. of, that I do. Right. And, um, yeah, for sure. And, uh, I think so. Go ahead. You're going to say, something? you know, I would make a point that I would make a point that true leadership really happens at the small unit level. You know, I even, agree. even when you look at, you know, studies around, tribes and teams you know everything they're saying you know actually the real work kind of happens in you know small teams and then those teams are organized into larger teams and the McChristian calls those teams of teams but when you're when you're leading a team a team you're actually more of a manager yep but and every interaction you know is with a small group of seven to ten or twenty and um and so you're leading a small group and then that, those leaders are leading smaller groups and then those leaders are leading small groups Right. So you're not actually, you know, leaders who think, well, I'm leading 100,000 people or 10,000. They're not actually doing that. Right. Right. They're actually leading a small, small group of their executive team or the managers and all that. So what is how do you lead a small group? You connect with them authentically. Yep. In order to connect with them authentically, you've got to be humble. You can't, you know, show up every day thinking you got all the answers and show up with this big ego and fire everybody. I'm thinking of like, you know, the leadership examples we have in our society at the political level, strategic level, are just horrific. You know, oh, I really, terrible. one of my missions is to see kind of more heart centered, world centric, you know, uh, emotionally and spiritually grounded leaders actually ascend to the highest levels of our, 
social structures and our governmental structures someday because boy what a change that will bring to the world isn't that yeah it's it, it's a it's a strange dichotomy because when you do look I, I know exactly what you're saying you look at the present field of what we revere or hold up as great leaders <laughs> and they're just disasters and and again the the general right. public's mindset is like oh well leadership is all about this larger than life charismatic figure that can walk into a room and I mean, I thought that early on. Suck all the options in that. Yeah, suck, you know, and yeah. you're right. And so I remember reading something on, um, oh, I forget his, the author, it escapes me, he died. He wrote a lot of World War II books, but he, he wrote a book about D-Day. And he talked mm. about that. And, and he said, you know, and everybody kind of thinks the general idea is, you know, that this year and a half, 18, 19, 20 months of planning to invade uh, France. And, you know, Eisenhower puts this great plan in place and everybody kind of thinks it's because of that strategic planning. That's why we won the war or the battle of D-Day. But the reality is it was groups of four or five individuals understanding the bigger picture of what we're trying to accomplish and overcoming and adapting as the situation unfolded, you know, like, Oh, I didn't realize I had to climb this cliff. That wasn't in my plan. Well, we got to right. climb the we got to climb the cliff. Right. I don't know how to climb a cliff. Well, we're going to climb it, you know. And it was just those little right. groups of four or five individuals taking as a whole. That's what won the won the day. And that's a uniquely and that the book was pointing out that is a uniquely kind of American entrepreneurial type mindset. And that was that was the point of his book. Right. So I don't know why. Yeah, no, I love that because at that level, when people are, you know, have staring down their wolf and they recognize that no plan survives contact with the enemy of reality, yep. then you got to look at each other and go, okay, so what? Now, what are we going to do? How can we take a moment, just breathe, realize that our plan didn't work out? So what? You know, let's keep moving forward. Find the target. Let's attack it. Let's learn from it. You know, I'm using military jargon here, but hey, it works in the business world. Your target is your goal. If, um, you know, if it's too big, chunk it down, find something right now that you can go after to move toward mission accomplishment and learn along the way. We call it failing forward fast. Yep. But failing, you know, is one of those things you got to stare down the risk of fear of failure and just be willing to just keep on failing your way till you find a suitable path toward victory. That's like what you just said about D-Day is, is that the plan was great, but man, almost as soon as the plan got executed, things started falling apart. And it really came down to the troops in the field on the bleeding edge who had to just solve yeah. one problem after another without the training, without the plan. And, you know, they had to stare down their fear in a life and death situation. Absolutely. Well, a business leader may not lose their life or, you know, a school teacher may not, you know, but they, they experience in their brain will experience that risk almost as if, you know, it's got the same level of risk and, and it doesn't. And that's part of the wiring that I talked about. So once you stare down the fear wolf and you begin to stoke courage, feeding the courage wolf with the way you talk to yourself, you know, uh, overcoming those big emotional shadow issues that maybe stem from some sort of childhood, you know, kicking the jimmy. Um, then all of a sudden you recognize that, you know, I, I can do this. And your, your dialogue gets a lot more positive. And your actions, you know, become more courageous. You know, the way to really develop courage, and this is like a platitude, is to do courageous things. But in order to do courageous things, you got to move toward them. 
And when you move toward them, that doubt is eliminated through that action. Yeah, and I think it's important, too, to point out that whatever you see as courageous may be second nature to me, and that's that's okay. I right. mean, it's your personal whatever, you know, frightens you or right. stops you in your tracks. And if you work through that, yeah, only great things are going to happen on the other side. And, I, and it does – when you do do that, what, what comes out of that is this level of authenticity that even though you're working on yourself, everybody else is going to see. So even though you're shining the spotlight on yourself, you're giving permission for those that are bathing in that spotlight of that action to do the same. And that's the, that's where the trust I think comes in, right? Because people are seeing the authentic you, Oh, Mark's a real human being. He's not this mythical, you know, Spartan-esque figure from the SEAL team. He's a guy that, you know, is is humble and he makes mistakes and he embraces those mistakes and you don't kind of hide them that brings people closer and that trust thing just builds and builds and that that's what i that's what i'm sensing over those first two uh principles that you talk about in your that's book. right yeah well, yeah how- the, the transparency you know to me people will you know people will project whatever they think about you onto you and so if you try to uphold that projection, then that's a, that's a heavy burden. Right. To carry. And people all the time project Mark Devine is this badass Navy SEAL, you know, commander. He can do anything. New York Times bestselling officer, blah, blah, blah. Great. Now, if I take that on and my ego just soaks it up and laps it up every day and I believe in that bullshit, those are just things that happen, right? They're right. aspects of my, you know, localized existence, but I, I don't like hang my head on those every day. I don't consider them to be my identity. And so I basically then show up and say, listen, all that stuff that I did in my past will be right now. I'm just like you, right? I'm an, I'm a human being who's approaching this day with the same challenges as you. And, um, and I've still got to stare down my fear wolf and just do it day after day, you know, and we get a little bit better every day, 1%. So maybe I've got a little more practice than you. But together, it's up to us to solve this problem. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm not going to be your white knight in shining armor. <laughs> right. But I, you know, I'll bring my tools to the table. You bring your tools to the table. And together, everybody achieves more. Yeah. And that develops great trust because you're not trying to solve all the answers, you know, and all the riddles. You're trying to basically say, hey, together, we got this. Well, I think that's... And, you know, to me, that's trust is a practice of humility. You show up every day. Absolutely. Empty your cup. Empty your righteousness and your judgment and just like become a white belt and just show up again every day, every day and yeah. stop trying to be a cartoon, stop trying to be a cartoon character of what you think a leader is. And I think that that's, that's the myth that right. seems to be prevalent in popular culture of what we think leadership is and why we think, why I think we got, you know, from presidents to politicians on down, it's just this, this facade of what leadership really is. Yeah. That's right. How, wearing a, a mask, you know, and you put those masks on and then, you put a mask over that mask and then another mask over that mask. And eventually you can't even find the original character underneath. Mm-hmm. Right. And so a lot of these people literally have no idea who they really are. Right. They're just, you know, That's so true. <laughs> completely lost. But, you know, I think about earlier on in my military career, I mean, I kind of, I think, but again, I was in my early twenties and I was a brand new officer and, and I, I don't know. I probably spent a year trying to be that cartoon character because, because trust me, the, and I'm sure the SEALs have them too. The Marine Corps has its mm-hmm. its um, share of cartoon characters, but <laughs> absolutely, you know, 
and they tend to stand out and you tend to think that's how you're supposed to be. But it wasn't until I met, I, I met some officers who didn't even look the part. They were kind of quirky. Um, and Peter Pace was one of them. And he came, he was a colonel at the time and he came and he, and I saw him talk about his first platoon in Vietnam and how he was choking up. And I could see the love emanating from what he was talking about. And that mm-hmm. command presence that he emanated was stronger than any of the kind of goofy colonels chomping on the cigar, the mute commanders that I would work with, you know, and who were kind of just mm-hmm. cartoonish, you know? And, um, right. Right. So how does the, yeah, I tell the story Go ahead. It, about McCraven? Yeah. Uh, my commanding officer at SEAL Team 3 was William McCraven. And, you know, when I first saw him or first met him, I was like, wow, this guy is not your prototypical Navy SEAL, you know? Right. He, he, he was not like this big badass kind of guy. He was actually pretty, um, you know, he, he looked like a, like a corporate executive. Right. But he could, you know, run with the best of us. Yeah. He could PT, but he just didn't look the part. And he was just as comfortable, you know, putting together a PowerPoint as he was, you know, a, a SEAL mission plan. And um, and also, you know, he was willing to risk, you know, for to learn new things for the team. And that, you know, could have destroyed his career. And the story that I tell, it really came close. But because he had such great humility and was completely transparent and, you know, was relentless with learning and following through, then he had such trust up, down and across the board with everyone he worked with that he ended up becoming a four-star admiral and ran all right. special ops. In fact, I give him credit for nailing bin Laden. He kept, he kept the eye on the ball of bin Laden for, you know, seven years, well after most people said that the guy had died in Tora Bora, you know, and, or had kidney failure. Yeah. You know, McCraven, he's a great example because you're right. He isn't one of those, um, of course, but, but I worked with you guys a lot in the Marine Corps and I remember, the first time I, I worked with the SEAL team, and I think I, you and I talked about this six years ago, and I remember <clears throat> we was in Kuwait and we were getting ready to do some halo jumps, and um, and we were briefing out there in the in on the at the airfield, and I was like, these are SEALs. I mean, guys are short, you know, they, they're skinny, and they, they're, they're all over the board, you know, and because in your mind you're thinking every, every 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 it's just, and that's what I just love about. The seals is that it it shows that it's 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 so much about the mindset and the tenacity, not about. I mean, the physical thing has to be there, but it's so much more mental than than this kind of picture of. Yeah. Everybody's got to kind of look like, you know, the Hulk or whatever, or or Conan That's or Thor, right. you know. Yeah, and there there are those guys, but yeah, they are there. The prototypical. Yeah. You know, but you're right. Most seals, you could be sitting next to a seal at church and not know it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So how does it go into, let's, we, we talked about courage and trust a lot in here, but how does that feed into respect? I love how you, in, in the book, you kind of, when you talk about respect, you talk a lot about communication and having that discipline, right. integrity, and and making sure that communication is coming from an authentic place. Talk to me a little bit about respect and, and growth. Absolutely. So, you know, to me, courage is really a, um, First, it's a very individual thing, right? And it couldn't be an individual thing for a team, right? The culture of a team to have a team have courage. But I'm mostly talking about this in the context of an individual. And that courage, you know, risking and taking a stand and standing your ground then breeds, you know, great trust. And then that through your daily actions, being transparent and humble, like we talked about when you craving. But then, you know, when it comes to respect, we're really now getting into 
um, working directly with your team as opposed to just, you know, the character underneath who you are, backing up who you are. And when you work with a team, you, either, you can either work with an attitude or with uh, respect or without respect. And you can still be effective if there's no respect, but you won't be anywhere near as effective as, as if there is respect. Respect is the glue. It's also an accelerator. You know, when, when there's a lot of respect, um, people will, will, you know, bend over backwards for you and mm -hmm. get things done now, right? Whereas if they lack respect, sometimes, you know, what you ask for literally just gets, you know, put on the back burner or is literally thrown in the circular file because the person you're asking of is like, you know, whatever.com, you know, unless you order me to do this, I ain't doing it. And they're not going to bend over backwards for you. They're not going to think for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. One of the best things I learned about leadership was make your, your boss's job easier by anticipating their needs and then doing it for them. Right. Now you can't do everything for your boss, but isn't it amazing when someone says, Hey, Mark, or, you know, whoever I, you know, I knew you were going to need this. So I did it for you. Or, you know, here's some prep for this meeting or whatever it is. Right. You insert thing that you weren't expecting. And it's such a nice surprise and it builds great mutual yeah. respect. Yeah. But the point, you know, to your specific question, when you're in relationship with others, as in a team and who isn't on a team, multiple teams, including the family, it's all about communication. Yep. You know, it's not like teams sit around staring at each other and send mental telepathy. Even if they did, that would be communication. They'd probably be arguing, you know, telepathically. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they sh they show up and they have to they have to communicate. You know, a eighty percent or something. Don't quote me on that. Of communication is nonverbal. So how you show up with integrity is basically how you show up as a leader and telegraph your intentions. And not hide, you know, not hide the real intentions behind the firewall. And that happens quite a bit. You have, we, in the military, we actually call that out. We have explicit and implicit right. expectations and intentions, right? And so the explicit are like, I want you guys to do this, A, B, C. But then underneath that are the implicit, which are like, I want you to do it this way. I want to have it done by this time. You know, um, don't go down this rabbit hole. You know, all there's right. all sorts of implicit things that are assumptions and biases and you know even emotionally you know you might have shadow aspects that you kind of project onto your leadership taskings or requests and, and offers for assistance so communication really is how is how you project your leadership authenticity or lack of authenticity and so to look at that as a practice that in you know integrity to me is to have a strong moral um compass but then be integrated in thought word and deed which is hard work right yeah, very hard it's really hard work and um and then once you get that integrity and you communicate with that then you have great clarity and clarity leads to respect because you know i i know exactly what to expect from you i know exactly what's expected from me and then i'm going to go execute it and i'm not afraid to get feedback along the way because I know I'm doing what, you know, I'm, I'm in the lane, right? I'm not off on some reservation somewhere. So I ask for frequent feedback. And that's a typical skill, too, is to ask for feedback and then to accept it, you know, without thinking you're being negatively criticized. Well, and it gets to the heart of why leadership is so hard, because you can just see how you can get, you could get so stuck. You know, in every, if I look back at every 
dysfunctional thing that has happened in my leadership career and my relationship career in my marriage, it's, it's in that Mm -hmm. kind of respect area or the lack thereof. Uh, And usually it was because I wasn't, like you said, authentically present and trying to, and authentically communicate what, what it is that I need. And it usually wasn't, and that's even the wrong way to put it. It's about because, and that's why the the first two things about courage, trust, and knowing yourself and knowing who you are, it's the discipline integrity piece that makes it so difficult, right? And and if you don't have the courage to to see who you really are and what it is you really want to accomplish, which takes a tremendous amount of work, at least it does for me, and it has for me, then yeah, then then you're never going to get that respect, or the you're never going to fully appreciate the 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 power that that respect thing can bring you. Like you said, you could be in, you can be right. effective, like you said, but man, you can almost accomplish anything if you have it with a degree of authenticity and integrity right. behind it. Yeah, right. In my Unbeatable Mind book, I talked. I use this concept out, uh, called the twenty X factor. That, and my premise there, because I saw this with all my trainees, that is that you're capable of twenty times more than you think you are. And then in this book, Staring Down the Wolf, what what I've also learned is that a team it's capable of 20 times more. In fact, that's the real power right there. You know, an individual, 20 times an individual is 20 times one, you know, but 20 times a team, holy cow. Now you're getting some geometric, you know, projection of power and and accomplishment. So in order for that to state, you know, to happen, you got to basically build on the courage and trust and respect and practice integrity. You know, people put these, these words on a board and they never really, think, how do I practice this? Yeah, so man. how do you practice integrity? How do you practice alignment? You know, one of the ways that I do this, um, and I love this because I, I literally just learned that Socrates said this, and that is that um, only speak of what you say is accurate or as true as you know it to be is useful and is positively stated, meaning you're not like cutting someone down or some negative or, mm-hmm. you know, sort of gossipy type language. Now, in order to speak like that or not speak, it takes great awareness. In order to develop awareness, you got to slow down. You've got to practice things like mental discipline and mindfulness to be aware of your negative conditioning that, that causes you to want to react to the latest thing that's being said or to formulate your perfect response, you know, a third of the way through someone else telling you something important. And so you're really not listening. Right. You're always just thinking the next clever thing. And leader, you can tell that leaders who really, really listen. Like I tell the story of Captain Jim O'Connell, who was my boss, and he sent me to Iraq uh, to war, actually. And he was, he was brought back from retirement or the verge of retirement to lead the SEALs war effort because he was retiring. <laughs> and because he had such great trust and respect and the SEALs knew that, you know, hey, the first war we've had in, in 20 years, you know, every freaking career minded uh, SEAL leader wanted to jump on that and to lead that effort, you know, because it was going to make their resume and maybe a sure, sure path to Admiral. So I, I wish I knew who made this call, but they, they said, OK, screw that. We're going to bring the guy who's actually retiring. And put him in that role. And this guy is just a phenomenal leader. He always strives to do the right thing in spite of the consequences to his own career and careerism. And so they brought O'Connell in. And I recognized fairly quickly that he 
actually practiced this, whether he knew it or not, this idea of integ- speech, integrity speech, I guess I'll call it, where you know, he would be very cautious with what he said and make sure that it was factually true. You know, it was useful, going to you know, add to the conversation and not just be a windbag. And then it was positive. I never saw him or heard him put someone down or say anything negative or doubtful about a person's competency or about a mission success. It was always like, you know, we're going to figure this out. I trust in you guys. You guys are the guys closest to the, you know, to the, um, to the action, you know, put your head to the ground and listen and let's figure this out together, you know? And um, because of that, people uh, really respected him. And he got the job done, and he really did an incredible job. And and when he was done with that, after a few years, guess what? He retired. <laughs> yeah, right. He, he didn't change his mind and t- and take the star. You know what I mean? Yeah. He could have easily been a four four star admiral, uh, but he was like, I'm done, and, and my wife needs me home, my family needs me home. It's really a great example. That's a great story. It is a great example. And it is. Does it kind of get to the part of when you're talking about growth about the vertical, the embracing the vertical character development piece? What is 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 that what you mean by Absolutely. that? Like, here's a guy that he totally embraced, even though where, no matter where he was at, near the end of his, the twilight of his career, and he's brought into this task, he's completely self-aware, he knows who he is. You saw that intentionality of that, making sure that every piece of communication was true, it was useful, and it was positive. Mm-hmm. That's a tremendous amount of work, right? That's somebody that knows who they are. Yeah. And uh, I'm just That's hearing right. this stuff. I mean, it's exciting, but at the same time, I'm just looking at myself and like, I still got a lot of work to do. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, don't we, don't we all, right? That's the, that's the point. Yeah. But if you're on the path, self-awareness is the, is the activator for growth, right? And so what I love about this, these principles is that, you know, I guess, let me say it another way. I'm, I've been heavily influenced throughout my life by my Zen training and my martial arts training. And one of the key principles is that, you know, you're always learning. And there's always going to be, you know, someone better, bigger, faster, stronger, smarter than you. Right. And um, there's no there there. You know, with the term self-mastery, you know, mastery is elusive. There's no there there. The better, the more work you do, the more work you have to do. And it's very humbling. And, but that's growth. So vertical growth really points to this need that, you know, to, as leaders to develop our character. It's our main, it's our main job is to show up every day and to grow. And then through that um, ever-expanding growth, and growth is experienced, and I'm sure you could add to this, uh, but growth is experienced as um, expanding perspective. So you see more, you take more views in, you're more sensitive to other people's viewpoints. You can, you can kind of travel what I call the plateaus and meet, some, meet people where they're at without judging them and without yeah. feeling righteous and without you know, feeling like your answer is better than their answer, but maybe then you could create a new perspective together that is stronger than either yours or theirs. That's growth. Yeah. And then also there's this inward feeling that you turn inward and you're able to connect to your heart. I use the term Kokoro a couple of times in my trainings and I even have a, um, a, a hell week simulation program in my seal fit called Kokoro camp and Kokoro is a Japanese word. I used it because I couldn't find any English equivalent, but I guess courage would be the closest equivalent. But Kokoro means to merge your heart and your mind into your actions. So you're not just being clever, you know, with a perfect plan, like we talked about. You're actually, you do the planning and you try to use models to 
to plan effectively. But then you, you connect with your heart through your team and you solve the problems one at a time as they come up. That's growth, right? Yeah. So you have this kind of inward turning to where you have a growing sense of connection, care, concern, and compassion. And then that, that expands outward and outward until eventually it includes all humans and then all sentient beings. And so when you, when you grow like that, I call it world-centric leadership, you have this perspective that everyone matters and you're connected and your actions will affect everybody. And you, especially those in your field of awareness, but you know, to be certain, especially from a spiritual tradition standpoint, your thoughts and actions affect everybody. And so why would you have negative thoughts if that, you know, if it's that important and why would you take actions that harm other individuals or other, you know, or the environment, you know, back to what I said earlier, boy, wouldn't it be nice if leaders at the global stage who have their trigger on big economic levers and global thermonuclear weapons and whatnot, if they had this kind of deepening sense of care and concern and that we're all in this together, as opposed to, you know, we're all fighting each other for limited resources you know that's such an old mindset it seems like obvious to me that that should be shit canned in favor of what we're talking about but i agree elusive you know i know i love 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 what you said about that i mean you articulated some things that i've really been receiving clarity and alignment on over the last decade myself and you summed it up and i mean it's it's kind of things that i've been feeling and, and certainly things i've talked about on this show and it is it is exercising that EQ side of of who we are, you know, the emotional quotient piece, and right. and and but the mindfulness of it, of you know, getting the heart and the mind, and combining that, it's kind of like even what Collins, Jim Collins, talks about in Good to Great. In a in a this is way more simpler than what what you presented, but I think it's I don't think he he knew that what he was defining, but it's that I I think the sweet spot is that having that intensity of will. Which you talked about with all you know, mm-hmm. when you think about the traditional sides of leadership and excellence and you know and and tactics and everything else, but it's combining that with that hum- the humility, the humble side of it, right? And where that Venn diagram intersects, that intensity of will with that kind of you know mind and heart combination, hum- hum- humility, authenticity, transparency, and where that intersects, that is a very powerful individual as a leader. And then if you can get the whole collective, man, it's unstoppable. It's a whole different world, you know? And that's right. What, that's what you're right. talking about. I agree. I am. And once you, and the other thing about this growth is, you know, a lot of people just like, let growth be random. They're like, yeah, I'm committed to growth. I'm a growth mindset person, right? And I love Carol Dweck's simplicity into saying, either your growth mindset or your fix. Great. So let's just say most leaders are going to be like, yeah, I'm growth minded because, you know, well, I go to school, I go to, you know, I go to, you know, all these different networking events and I'm part of this mastermind. That's awesome. But now the question is, how have you set up your work environment so that it's a growth environment, meaning everybody is growing and expecting to grow every day? And you have challenging training and challenging situations and you know, you're doing uh, uncomfortable things that will lead to some of what we talked about, greater trust, respect, communication skills. For example, um, at my company, uh, about six years ago, we finally said, okay, I'm, I'm teaching these things. We've got to do these things, lock, stock, and barrel. And so we actually box, breathe, and meditate before every single meeting Wow! for five minutes. And it's been just an extraordinary practice. But at first, you can imagine, you know, 
not everybody was on board with it or they felt it was uncomfortable or, you know, I'd be leading a session and I, and I open my eyes to look around and I see, you know, one guy standing there pecking at his phone, you know, and I'm like, okay, and guess what? Those people are not at the company anymore. They self-selected <laughs> right. out or the team self-selected them out because they weren't serious about growth. And now as a result of that uh, practice, that simple practice, and there are, there are others, you know, one of, back to this idea of feeding the courage wolf, we have a commitment to stare down fear wolf, to talk about things that are difficult and afraid and to find out how we can you know, overcome that obstacle. And on the flip side, to ensure that we're always, and this isn't happy, glad kind of talk, but to ensure that we're always, you know, approaching things positively. We're, we're using positive language. We're not, you know, getting stuck in fear and we're not, um, you know, we don't allow gossip or any type of, you know, negative behavior. And again, most people will self-select out of the team or, you know, if you can't rectify it, then you move on. Those are things that are uncomfortable for most people, but boy, what an impact it makes oh, on an organization man. when you can, when you can do those growth oriented things together. Cause then you get that kind of vertical character growth. And I'm going to say you, you don't also have to do the horizontal growth in the tactics and the strategies and learning new things, right? Cause you always got to be learning. But the more vertical growth you do, the more effective you're going to be with those, you know, horizontal growth things, which are like, the, you know, for the SEALs, it was shoot, move and communicate, you know, learning how to parachute and, you know, drive a submarine and, you know, to insert on any enemy beach. Those are all cool things to learn how to do, but they didn't change me as a human being. They didn't make me necessarily better. But when I practice the things that could make me better, you know, the critical conversations, the self-awareness, the mindfulness, the breath control, the visualization it made me way more better at doing the shooting, moving and communicating. So it's, it's really kind of neat thing that you can do both and use your workspace to do both. And then you get what I call accelerated growth. There's been a lot of discussion about accelerated learning, but I think that we can even have more accelerated learning when we also practice accelerating growth. I agree and, with you. Know, you. Our workplace where we spend, spend the most time at work, we might as well use that time wisely, so to speak. Well, I love that you said that because I mean you're one of the you're one of the only guys that I've ever talked to about this, and I think in and I just did a solo episode last week where it was I scratched the surface on this where I talk about you know don't be afraid to make things a little uncomfortable, and some of the feedback I got from the some of the listeners was like you know well some of them interpreted it about it's all about intimidation. And I'm like, whoa, 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 you're way off the mark here. You know, it's about growth. Like you said, right. it's about, it's not about being an intimidating, again, cartoon character or character of what you think mm -hmm. it means to be uncomfortable out here. It's about stretching and, and putting you in places in a positive place where you're going to grow. You're going to, and that's where that vertical growth is so powerful. You're absolutely right. And it, and it only feeds into uh, the, the, technical and tactical expertise, which is a requirement. That's a given. It's almost like I look at that horizontal piece is it's a given. I mean, if you, you got to be good at something, right. if you know, I, I'm a pilot for American airlines, it's a given that I know, and I'm going to, as a professional, push myself to be the best at, and to handle that machine in any situation. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the mindset, the horizontal right. piece of knowing my job, but I am so much more better at it. If I can, take the time and the work to do the vertical growth piece of it because it is about awareness. You right. know, so much about aviation is about awareness and, and the big picture. Right. 
is what kills people. Is especially in, especially in a crisis, right? In a crisis, absolutely. You know, it, 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 when a crisis comes, those horizontal skills you got to have that. You got to have, have the dirt time. That's the given. But but you can have two two people with equal dirt time, and, and one yeah. flies off the handle, and the other's as cool as a cucumber because they've done the vertical growth. And that's exactly the point I was going to make. You're absolutely right. You know, and that's the power of that vertical growth piece. Oh man, Mark, I love this stuff. I mean, you probably you got a hard time here. It's it's uh, the bottom of the hour. Do you got another interview to go? And we're coming up on fifty minutes. And no, I'm good. So if you want to go and well, you know, yeah, we'll for a little while longer and then wrap it up. It's really up to you. I, I'm good to go. My next thing is uh, a workout, so I'm going to get busy <laughs> after this. Well, we'll, we'll kind of <laughs> come soon to wrap it up here. But I just, I mean, I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. I mean, I love. I love what you're doing. I love what you're saying. And, and the, really the last three um, commitments that you have in there are, is around excellence, uh, resiliency, and um, alignment. And I can right. certainly see how by do cause man, the first work and the first four, I mean, you can spend your whole lifetime and barely scratch the surface. You know what I mean? It's a light, it's a non, like you said, it's a circular thing. You're not, you're always trying to improve in those. As I, you can see, like by doing those four things, I can certainly see how that's going to lead uh, to a mindfulness of excellence, right? Because it's not so much about actually right. actually being it. It's like it's kind of like I, it's a being thing, is it right? Am I hitting the, hitting it? What right. you're trying to say? Yes, it, exactly. Because what the points I bring out for excellence are things like simplicity. So look at Steve Jobs, for example. Like talk about someone committed to excellence. But that was deep character that he was bringing. Now, yeah. I'm not saying he was unflawed. You know, everyone knows, has read his story, knows that he had flaws and he could have been really difficult to work with. But on this particular point of excellence, boy, he, you know, he was a master, right? And mm-hmm. he um, tried to simplify absolutely everything. But where does simplicity come from? The ability to think that way is unique. It's it's cultivated. It's not because Steve is like, in your terms, some cartoon character. It's because he was a Zen practitioner and, um, and he was ruthless with his mind in terms of just cutting out things that he didn't need mentally. And then when he brought that attitude to work, he was able to cut through all the clutter at work and see what, you know, was a shiny new thing. And what was the real thing that needed to be focused on? What an incredibly powerful skill. Yeah. So uh, simplicity and innovation and curiosity, these are the skills of excellence. It's not, you know, people think, oh, yeah, well, that, that I get excellence because everyone's talking about that. All the performance hackers out there who have podcasts and write books are talking about excellence. And they say, OK, you know, eat better, sleep better. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Spend yeah. more time working out. Get, get a stand, get a stand up desk. Take your qualia. You know, all that stuff are performance hacks. Great. You can do all that. And then and they may marginally help you around the edges, especially the sleep part. You know, I don't want to downplay that at all. because That's crucial. What I'm talking about here is built upon, like you said, that foundation of courage, trust, respect, and relentless focus on uh, growth of the individual and the team. Now we're starting to think differently as a team. We're getting really curious about how to do things differently, always asking ourselves, how can we do this different, better? You know, how can I improve? How can we improve? How can, you know, how, like for you as an airline pilot, you're not just like, putting the plane up in the sky and then putting an autopilot and then listening to your audiobook at that. Like you're, you're probably using that time to think, you know, constantly check the systems, 
you're probably finding and have found things throughout your airline career, just like you did in the Marine Corps, where you're like, hey, you know what? This could be improved. Our process here is yeah. a little bit dated, right? And so you bring that up the chain of command, and you're always looking at how to do things different, how to do things better, and to simplify things. You know, you might have things on a checklist which are slowing you down. Yeah. So you can say, okay, let's let's turn that turn that into a standard operating procedure, so we can ap, ap, you know apply the OODA loop a little bit better here. And then maybe, you know, maybe in an exception case, we go to that, you know, long checklist, which is slowing us down, right? Yeah. I'm just, you know, making stuff up on the fly here, but <laughs> that's what I mean by excellence. No, there's, there's an element. Yeah. Improvement. Yeah, there's, there's an element of truth to that. I mean, certainly you can see that that's the difference, what I say, between being a professional and not, you know? I mean, it's certainly easy. Right. It's easy to get complacent and... um particularly right. in aviation because of the of the automation and everything else and, and the redundancy of what's going on even on the routes. But uh, right. the, the profession as a whole, uh, what you find is all the great leaders, all the great captains and, and the great aviators in there is you pushing yourself to do that. You're constantly saying, okay, and not only that is like, what could we do better? But what do we do if this happens? Particularly like what if we lost an engine here, what are you going to do? You know, and so you're constantly just right. pushing yourself in that excellence, in that in that field of excellence. Right. Well, in the resiliency piece. Right. And, and go ahead. That the resiliency piece. Thanks. Um, that's basically, it, you know, a best way to kind of for me to say this is when I was sitting on the Zen bench uh, back in my initial training when I was in New York before the SEALs, my teacher Tadashi Nakamura. One day, you know, he used to have these little Zen chats, like little. Uh, whiteboard or chalkboard chats after our 45 minute Zen meditation sessions. And one of them, he said, fall down seven times, get up eight. And we talked about that and the nuances of that. And, um, and so I, I learned that resiliency is about how you get up, not that you just can get up because everyone falls down, you know, unless they literally plan on staying down, they get up, but the resilient people get up stronger. They get up having learned important lessons. They get up without regret they actually embrace the suck of that, you know, falling down and move forward, getting stronger from it and feeling good about themselves. Yeah. That's one aspect of resiliency. On another day, he said, he put on the words, or put these words on the board, one day, one lifetime. And I've always thought about that. In fact, I've, I've literally built a big part of my life philosophy around that, isn't that? Yesterday is gone. In fact, the SEALs say the only easy day was yesterday. Why? Because it's over. <laughs> <laughs> yesterday has gone. Tomorrow, has, tomorrow hasn't happened. So what do you got? You got today. So what are you going to do about that? Right? What are you going to do about it? How are you going to win your mind before you step foot in the battlefield? How are you going to navigate your day with excellence? How are you going to uh, fall down seven times today and get up eight with a smile on your face, growing stronger from it? That's a daily thing. One day at a lifetime, one day, one lifetime. And so the resilient people basically don't get stuck in fear or fretting about future realities that may or may not happen. And they don't get stuck in regrets or the coulda, shoulda, wouldas of the past. They're right here. And that makes them more present. And ultimately, presence is the, is the final resiliency, you know, marker, right? Yeah. <laughs> if all you got is this moment then that's the best way to be resilient because in this moment you can always move forward 
right? You can always take another breath, make another decision and move forward. And that's very liberating. It is liberating. And, and the, cause how many of us are trapped in constantly think about, I know when my head trash starts talking and I'm aware of it, it's usually because of mm-hmm. some past regret or it's because I'm worried about something that hasn't happened in the future yet. And so just having that awareness, okay. you know, that drunk monkey banging its noise in my head about something I did in the past or something I'm worried about in the future, it, it robs me from what I can do right now. Yeah. Right. And the, the tenacity piece, part of that resilient, I can't tell you how many times that's come up in this conversation. 400 conversations there, people ask me, well, what's the greatest thing you've learned after doing this for seven years? And the consistent theme from when we talk about uh, leading a life of significance, it always goes back to tenacity, always. Everybody always mm-hmm. brings that up. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, well, what separated you from this guy and that guy? I just didn't quit. You know, I just went one more time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the other guy yeah. didn't. There's a, there's a, there's a sign on my, uh, at my keto studio that says I never met a black belt or I, let's see. Uh, something like I've never met a black belt who is allowed to quit right. or who was happy that they quit or something like that, you know? And, and basically so that's like, martial arts training you know i've got multiple black belts every one of them i got just because i showed up you know what i mean right right if i had sat there as a white belt thinking oh my god I, i'm 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 embarking you know i've already got a black belt that's why you know honestly i love it when i see this is a little bit of a sidetrack but it, it relates to leadership when i see someone who does one thing and then they keep on improving that one thing that's great i get that but oftentimes that they only do that one thing because they're comfortable with that one thing. Right. When I love it, when I see like a, 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 a black, second or third degree black belt and one thing, then all of a sudden be like, you know, I, I'm kind of curious about that thing over there. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm really good at karate, but uh, I need to learn, you know, I need to learn how to do jiu-jitsu because you know, I don't really get on the ground and get wrapped up like a pretzel. And I'm afraid of that. And so I'm going to put my white belt on again. I'm going to, empty my cup of everything I knew. When I, I had a black belt when I went into the SEALs and my, my martial arts instructor actually wasn't martial arts, it was hand-to-hand freaking fight science combat called SCARS, Special Combat Aggressive Reaction System. And this is like no defense combat. Like everything was offense. You know, if you, if you lose your primary and secondary weapon, as you know, as a Marine, what do you got? You got your hands, you got the toaster next to you, you got, <laughs> right, you, know, right. you got the rock, yeah. you got the rock on the ground, uh-huh. whatever tools you have. And it's all, it's game on. And you have to have this mindset that violence of action, you can't think like a sport fighter or a karate guy where it's like strike block, step back, you know, point. Yeah. No, no, no. Jerry came up to me and he's like, Jerry was the founder of the style and goes, Mark, you got to unlearn that karate shit. It's going to get you killed. <laughs> And I was like, holy shit, I got a black belt. And he was completely right. I had to empty my cup, actually learn how to fight. And I've done that so many times in my life. And I'm doing it again now with Aikido, which is a beautiful art. Great art for any leader to learn. And it's the art of peace and working with other people's energy. And so you really learn kind of the energetic, the subtle side of leadership through Aikido. In fact, there's a, a friend of mine named Richard Strozzi Heckler has an entire leadership program called Embodied Leadership through his uh, Strozzi Institute, where he uses kind of the metaphor and actual movements of Aikido to teach leadership. It's really powerful. A little bit of a tangent, but I guess my point is that, you know, resiliency is about emptying your cup, showing up every day, and just doing the best you can, and employing and practicing the 
you know, the five, the five commitments that come before resiliency. And when you do all that together with your team, you tend to generally get um, much more aligned yeah. because you're all committed to these same commitments. But then alignment is also a practice through this relentless communications like we talked about earlier in the show. Relentless communications, relentless focus on growth and trust and respect and all that stuff. And sharing the victory with the with the whole team, having that kind of window mirror theory of, about right. yourself as a leader. Like if, if we're successful, it's because of everybody here. If, if it's a failure. It's our success. Yeah, it's our success. Man, I love this. An hour, going on an hour conversation. I rarely do that in here. And I know all the podcast experts say, keep it at 30 minutes, but I don't care. This is my show. I can keep going as long <laughs> as I want. And uh, it's just chock full right. of so much great stuff. I mean, I can't believe I let six years go by and let this leadership gold slip away. I mean, <clears throat> these conversations have just been so much fun for me. And I hope you got some value out of it too, Mark. So where can people... Oh, it's been great. Yep. Where can people uh, get in touch with you, learn more about you and connect with you? Well, as it pertains to this specific book we've been talking about, Steering Down the Wolf, it just launched. So I, I'm not sure when your podcast will launch, but uh, the time did it launched the, the week of March 2nd. Um, so if it's in March or April, it's a new book. Go check it out. It's available at all, you know, wherever books are sold. But but if you'd like a free digital um, course from me on the principles, you can get that at, at our website for the book called staringdownthewolf.com. And we'll just ask you for your email for that. Um, my personal website, which is kind of like a meta site for all that I do, which includes my podcast, the MBO Mind podcast, all my books, you can learn about speaking opportunities and stuff. That's markdivine.com, D-I-V-I-N-E.com. My, you know, my Twitter and um, Instagram handles are realmarkdivine or at realmarkdivine. And then, you know, for leaders, uh, our embodied leadership training is Unbeatable Mind, and that's at unbeatablemind.com. That's where we work with leaders and teams to really help develop these principles to forge an unbeatable mind, unlock your 20x power. Great stuff. I'll have links to all this in the show notes. And uh, I encourage all my listeners, if you haven't connected with Mark's stuff, uh, do so today. That is my call to action for you is, is connect with him, listen to his podcast, get his books. It's the it's great stuff. Mark, what a tremendous honor to have you back on the show. Uh, let's make it less than six years next time. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> deal. Thanks, Richard. It's been an honor. Appreciate you. Hey, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Dose of Leadership. I do appreciate your support. If you could do a couple things for me, go subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast app. Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. And if you could do that for me, I would truly appreciate it. Also, if you're interested in working with me, if you're interested in some team leadership training, go to doseofleadership.com and check out Legacy Leader Blueprint. I understand how difficult it can be to get effective leadership training for your team. It never seems like you have the time or the budget. My course, Legacy Leader Blueprint, solves that problem. Quality leadership training that doesn't disrupt your busy schedule or break your budget. 20 high-impact videos and 6 hours of live group coaching with me that will allow you and your team to become true leaders of influence. I will teach you how to defeat mediocrity and stagnation, create high-impact cultures of initiative, and build empowered teams with high degrees of trust. Go check out DoseOfLeadership.com, click on Legacy Leader Blueprint, and enroll your team today.